Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by Ars Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me we have Gretchen. Hello. Julia. Hi, everyone. And joining us from Brazil, our contributor, Priscilla. Hello. And we are very excited to have her here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might recognize what she's written. I'm thinking like 3% uh, recaps and reviews. Mm -hmm. Those were really good. I loved what you and Katie did with that. Thank you. Um, You had that one piece on why stories matter. like Fiction. Yeah, why why fiction fiction, matters. Why fiction matters. That's right. Which we actually just linked in a recent piece. Also, all sorts of wonderful thought pieces. And I think you're picking up Iron Fist now? Yes, I'll be with you. She volunteers as tribute. (laughs) Well. That should be fun. That should be fun. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, whoops, we all write for (laughs) thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. Yes. And you can just check us out for all sorts of geeky reviews and news and comics. A lot of comics. So many comics. Yep. All the comics. All the best ones. Which I'm now out of money because (laughs) of I know, we're recording this on a Thursday night, and, like, Friday is the huge comic day, so we're just thinking about all the comic reviews we have to edit before Oh my god, <laughs> but the newest Detective Comics had a really ridiculous moment between Kate and Renee. Do you want me to talk about it in detail? Um, why don't we talk about news first? Okay. <laughs> well, actually, speaking of Iron Fist, um, we just want to point out, because we kind of talked about this last episode, mm. how it's getting ripped apart, but Finn Jones doesn't seem capable of giving an interview without just stepping in it more. I mean, it's a skill that he honed while he was on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, now he, he's, yeah. like, really lived up to all his potential, I guess. Right, and, like, the thing is, is... It's also, from what we hear, really boring for most of it. Like, I feel like it would be one thing if he were not able to shut up and the show was good, but, like, he can't stop talking and it's not even that great of a show. <sighs> like, they should have, they, they really do need to make a spinoff and give it to, um. Jessica. Yes, Jessica, Jessica Henwick. Henwick. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Ju- and then just do, like, a Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, um, spinoff series. Call it Daughters of the Dragon. I'll take any of that. Why not? And know, right? Jones is just. And I'm really rooting for her after you know, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm. So I'm kind of like, you deserve better. For, for <laughs> anyone who doesn't know, she played Nymeria Sand on yeah. Game of Thrones, and she had the best line in <laughs> all of season six, which is, "You're a greedy bitch. You know that." <laughs> oh my god! I thought the bad pussy was the best line. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was she, the best line of season five. She got cheated out of that ah, one. That sure. went to her sister. Oh, that was an Emmy-winning line, though, Priscilla. Uh, for it's so what good. do I know? I never won an Emmy, so... <laughs> um, speaking of Netflix... Netflix and whitewashing. Death Note? Uh, yeah. It looks which, not great. That's uh, an anime, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yes. remember this time, this like last year, when we were talking about how like Netflix is just remarkable and it's like continual <sighs> train of hits. <laughs> well, I guess it had to end sometime. Last about- year was a really good year for Netflix. It mm-hmm. really was. It was the year before, right? But the thing about Death Note, like, okay, I know it's whitewashed, but what I can't get away from is that like image that that featured image that they've been showing on every article about it looks exactly like emo peter parker from spider-man 3 (laughs) and i just can't unsee it and it's terrible oh my gosh oh Oh. if anyone is unfamiliar with what we're talking about in terms of whitewashing um death note is an anime and the main character in the anime is of asian descent um japanese probably anime yeah Yeah, i mean i don't i don't yeah He's Japanese. And I mean, there are characters in animes who are, like, clearly Japanese and, like, blonde, so... 
Yeah. Well, and some animes can have people of a- other Asian descent, not yeah. just Japanese. Um, but so yeah, he's Japanese, but he's being played by a white actor. Because, of yay, because this is a theme for the last year. <laughs> this has been a theme. <laughs> oh, because also like Ghost in the Shell, that's coming out, which uh. is another like white actor playing a role that I, should have been I have to a review of Ghost in the Shell scheduled the same day that this podcast comes out. So oh, yes. That's, yep. I, I think I saw the best meme about this, which if anyone's watched the Office Diversity Day episode, when <laughs> my favorite episode, <laughs> Michael makes everyone in the office put a post-it note on their head with like a race, and then they have to say racial stereotypes at each other, basically, so they can <laughs> oh guess my what gosh. it is. But it shows um, Dwight has just Asian written on his head, <laughs> and I've seen that picture, and people just say like "ghost in a shell." Or <laughs> and I, I think it's one of my favorite uses of that. Yeah, that's a good one because I mean, it, he's not wrong. Hey, let's have some good news about Netflix, okay? Okay. Winona Earp, a Hooray! very Woo! nerdy sci-fi show, is coming to Netflix kind of early, actually. A whole month like, early. Yeah, like season one didn't end that long ago, and um, there's a billion good reasons to watch it, but they all begin with Waverly Earp. So yes, mm-hmm. should check it. The out. number it's one reason like- to watch it is that Gretchen has a picture framed on her wall of her with like <laughs> the main actors from the show and like the writer, and the, right? And the showrunner, or oh, yeah, the, the writer and showrunner. Yeah, I do have a picture and her framed fa- on her wall. Uh, Winona's face is right next to Gretchen's face. Like it's and inches away from my this. face. She also, when I met her at Clexicon, she called me the real-life Waverly Earp, and I, like, died. <laughs> you kind of are, though, dude. I mean, it's kind of true. Yeah, but the, the thing about uh, Winona Earp is, like, it's it's a campy show. It's yeah. supposed to be a campy show, but it makes you feel good watching it because of that. Right, so. I think of it as, like, it's an air of, like, Buffy, very yes. much so. Yes. Like, very much like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, oh. speaking of which, um, yeah. Buffy, oh. as well as... Bad news about Netflix, okay. Yeah, back to bad news. Um, <laughs> Buffy and the X-Files and Firefly are going to be leaving Netflix for however long. Why are they taking Firefly away from me again? Because, because Firefly always gets shafted. Mm-hmm. Ever since well, it aired. Buffy is... I'm surprised they're getting rid of Buffy. That was, like, such a Netflix staple for so long. I mean, it's probably, like, like the, the whole thing with, like, whatever they call it. I guess they don't call it syndication on Netflix, but it's probably all complicated and stuff, and they have quotas and things. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But yeah, this I have is, no idea how it works. This I just, is just want my Firefly whenever I want it, you know? Yeah, this is just kind of... <laughs> I feel like I need to binge watch Buffy really fast now, but that's <laughs> not easy to do. No, because there are seven seasons. Yeah. Although, you know, some of them are take it or leave it, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. Right. It is kind of weird, though, because this is the 20th anniversary. Yeah. This year is the 20th anniversary of You know Buffy. what it's also an anniversary of? What? Remember Potter Puppet Pals? <gasps> oh, my gosh. I love The mysterious ticking noise is 10 years old today. Uh, was it that long ago? I know. I'm old. I feel so old. Ron. Ron. Ron so Weasley. I should tell you that my text tone <laughs> for my mother is bother, 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 bother. <laughs> <laughs> Which is admittedly not from the mysterious ticking noise, but for a while I from think bothering my, Snape. I think my voicemail was Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty cool, I know. For those of you who don't know what this is, one, why? Why? What is wrong with you? Like, what have you done with your life? <laughs> yeah, right? Like Oh, two, go to YouTube and look up Harry Potter Puppet Pals. You yeah. will not be disappointed. I they found the source the of the mysterious ticking sound. <laughs> it's a pipe bomb. Here, hold on. There we go. That's my, that's my text tone for my mom. <laughs> oh, man, they're great. All right. Hey. Yes. Recent news. Um, Mass Effect is a thing and everyone's losing their shit about it. Uh, Do any of us know anything about video games? I know a little bit of about video games, though I never played Mass Effect. So yeah, yeah. I, I know what Griffin has told me, mm-hmm. which is that there is a Scottish lesbian scientist who's religious, and the way she describes scientific pursuit as bringing her closer to God is actually very Jewish coded. So a Scottish Jewish lesbian on Mass Effect. I will take it. Okay. Oh. 
That sounds cool. But I, I literally like know nothing else. I know a lot of people are upset because they made one character straight who shouldn't be straight or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I know a lot of people are complaining about like the facial animations. But mm. yeah. I have seen that criticism floating around the Tumblr. <laughs> the yeah. Tumblr. Yeah, I most I mostly play strategy games, so this is not my thing. <laughs> I I mostly play like Papa's Wingaria and things like that. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know what else exists and is a thing? Oh my god! Oh no! I know. <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones, and we were reminded of this because this really meaningful teaser came out. Uh, mm. And Yay. a poster that had ice and fire, and then there were like 50 billion articles that were like, what, <laughs> what does, does it, it mean? <laughs> uh, we should save this for UBS, right? We don't need to talk about that. We have to nope. contain all the, all the Game of Thrones stuff there. If you're interested in hearing about Game of Thrones news, as well as just snark about the show, check out uh, Julia and my podcast, Unabashed Book Snobbery, where we mm-hmm. do include like a newsy segment at the beginning of it. And- that will satisfy you beyond your wildest dreams. Dramatically. <laughs> yes, dramatically. You know what is dramatically satisfying, aha. Yes. <laughs> that segues. Uh, Katie, Katie McGrath is dramatically satisfying, I would she say. She is. And it was announced just a couple of days ago, so like probably about a week ago by the time this airs, that she has been signed on as a series regular for Supergirl Season 3. I'm really glad. <laughs> there, there was... There was a rumbling in the, uh... The Femme Slash Force, I think Elizabeth said. <laughs> yes, there was a rumbling in the Femme Slash Force when that happens. <laughs> like, like, I don't know... I don't know if they know that they're writing Korosami again. I don't... I can't tell. But, holy crap, am I happy. All I want... I, I want Lena to stay good. I'm gonna be yep. very sad if she's villain Lena. I can tell you that. And I really want her to bond with Wynn. Because oh, yes. basically I want the uh, bro Sami, uh, bro TP again. Yeah. That's, that's all I want. I mean, um, they basically would be that. Yeah, but we'll have to see how the season ends to really speculate more. And speaking we'll speaking of gay female characters. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, she in my head she is. In a lot of people's heads she is. She's um, getting an ex-boyfriend, but I, I mean, I think she's definitely not she can be platonically bi. interested in <laughs> She can be bi, she can be pan, she can be... Okay. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, the Power Rangers movie has announced that they are going to have a um, queer female protagonist. And it is Trini, who is the Yellow Ranger. Okay. So, which is funny because I always wanted to be Trini when I was younger. Yeah. And yet another sign. (laughs) I was predictable and I wanted to be the Pink Ranger. Yeah, I wanted to be the Pink Ranger too. I never watched Power Rangers. Kimberly did get a lot more screen time than Trini she did. did. So, she, and she, she I mean, she had the romance with the, yeah, with the, the male protagonist too, like the, Tommy. Was, oh, no, was she with the red guy or the green guy? Tommy. The green. Jason was the red guy, right? Yeah. She was yeah. with, she was with the green ranger who became the white ranger. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I watched way too much of this show. <laughs> I didn't watch this at all, but I had a green Power Ranger action figure that I'd play with. <laughs> In my action figure world I created, he was the principal of the school. <laughs> That's what I contribute to this conversation. Oh I would watch that. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. Um, Beauty and the Beast is doing well. Yeah, the, the last well. bit of news is actually going to segue into our first segment, too. But uh, it's the Disney reboot of Beauty and the Beast, the live action it's not just doing well. It's breaking like every freaking yeah, record. Right? Jeremiah thought it was derivative. My my coach really liked it. Um, that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, along the same lines, we got announcements about the Disney Mulan, not to be confused with the Sony Mulan, mm-hmm. which has Alex Graves as the goddamn director. Hey. <laughs> the Disney Mulan doesn't, and the Disney Mulan also announced, I think that it was not going to have white people in it right no it's not gonna have music oh no right yeah music or white people music or white people. yeah it's not gonna have white people too but that's older news (laughs) that's older news right but it's also definitely the newest news is that it's not gonna have music so it's gonna (sighs) be a war film uh there's also a little bit of news too that i'm sorry what is her love interest's name the hot guy Uh, the hot captain no shirt I want to say Shang. 
No, but it's it's something like Shang. Yeah, no, because apparently they are making a change where he's going to be completely antagonistic towards Ping until discovering that. Yeah, they're like gonna know she's a woman. Yeah, they're gonna know home of the crap out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He he was Shang. Yes, you're right. So no music and no homo. Yeah. What was the bad guy's name, Gretchen? Um, it's a Toa remember the Hun. Remember it being like a two-syllable name? No, his name. It's not it, like he's a cipher for Attila the Hun, but that's not his name. Yeah, he has another name. What? Like, do you not know that? I don't remember. I thought it was Attila. N- no. Um, Sean Yu. That see, okay, Sean yeah, Yu. So it. that's why that's I was it. confused because Sean and Sean Yu and I need Shen. to watch this, man. Yeah, Sean Yu. <laughs> okay, let's get down to business. Dumbledore. Okay. Okay. So our first segment is going to be loosely on, uh, you know, jumping off that news about Beauty and the Beast and about Mulan. And if you actually want to hear a more in-depth conversation about those two movies specifically, you should check out our movie podcast that we have on the site called Cinematic Release. If nothing else, check it out for the puns. <laughs> yes. However, I want to just tell you what we also have coming regarding okay. Disney reboots. Do we have so, time to list them all? or <laughs> we, we want to keep this podcast at about an hour. So. Oh, that's true. Okay, so October of 2018, we have Jungle Book. In did November they of- just do Jungle Book? Didn't they? Yeah, they totally did. It wasn't Jungle Book. It, it wasn't oh, like- wait. The- Oh wait, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. This, this is, is another Warner one. Brother. This is another Jungle. Yeah. So this is not Disney Jungle Book. This is Warner Brothers Jungle Book. Great. Um, because we need two of that. Okay. In November of 2018 is the Disney Mulan. Mm-hmm. In December of 2018 is Mary Poppins, and this is the one that's starring Emily Blunt. In either 2018 or 2019, we're gonna get an Aladdin. Yay. We are then. Probably 2019, going to get a Cruella de Vil, the movie, a la Don't Maleficent. Don't they already do that? No. At the 102 Dalmatians? I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, no, this is about Cruella specifically. Okay. Like, like, Maleficent was not, you know. Did anybody see that movie? I saw I Maleficent. Saw movie. Like, yeah, in the I world, I mean. Movie. Yeah, he did? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Julia, it was like a huge movie. Was it? I didn't, I didn't think yeah. Cruella needed a ton of flushing out, cause wasn't she just Anita's like weird college roommate who skins yeah. coffee? <laughs> yeah. She shows up one day and Anita's like, wow, I'm sorry. She did not seem like that in school. Oh, apparently they're rewriting her. Like, it's gonna be a revisionist, which is something we can talk about, like, mm-hmm. using these reboots to like, as a uh. revisionist storytelling. Oh, 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 and they're having a script writer who also wrote Devil Wears Prada. Oh, which, I mean, yeah. basically was, like, Corella Yeah. runs the magazine. <laughs> we also, at some point, are getting The Lion King. Live action, getting- what? A live action Lion King? What? It's probably going to be like Jungle Book with, no, we, with we like, can't, CGI. We can't let this go. How are they going to have a live action movie with no humans in it? Julia... Calm, your, calm yourself. We are getting two <laughs> Little Mermaids, one Disney, one not Disney. Dumbo. Why would they do a live action Dumbo? Uh, the Jungle Why? Book 2. Mm-hmm. Snow, Snow White. White. Mm-hmm. Maleficent 2. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, uh, Maleficent was okay, but is there more story to tell? <laughs> Pinocchio. We're getting, oh good, we're getting two Pinocchios. We're getting two Pinocchios? Yep, one Disney, one not Disney. Oh my gosh. Uh, and apparently Prince Charming might be getting his own. From Cinderella. Oh. And it's starting, yeah, right, because uh, that's Richard... what everybody wanted. Yeah. Right. Well, it's Richard Madden. I guess they think he's hot. Um, we might be getting I a Tinkerbell. <laughs> a Winnie the Pooh. Oh my god, I can't read this list anymore. We're gonna, we don't have time to talk about all this. Tinkerbell. Right. Like, why? Why? Oh my gosh. Peter I was Rabbit. asking for those you skipped movies. it. They're making a Peter Rabbit movie. Like, the, <laughs> who wants Peter Rabbit? They're making Sword of the Stone, dude. Who wants that? Oh, Sword of the Stone is actually, like, with humans in it, at least. But that movie's <laughs> I mean, at one point, there's squirrels. Okay, that movie is, like, fucking awesome. I have to do, like, I remember I did movie. that thing about the Black Cauldron? I have to do that for Sword of the Stone. Uh, I love uh, it. Archimedes is, like, my favorite. Yeah. Remember the part Archimedes. where they, like, they're squirrels for a while? Yes! 
Oh my god, I love that movie so much. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Like, it's it's hilarious. Hilarious. you should watch it. It really is. It's super funny. So oh. let's bring this around and have a discussion. <laughs> about, um, no, like, what is this? Why are we having this many reboots? Is this a good or a bad thing? Like, especially feel? if, like, especially if they're going to be anything like Beauty and the Beast, which it probably will be because Beauty and the Beast is doing so well. Like, that's like a shot for shot of the animated, and you're just like, what does this add? I mean, I'm happy for Emma Watson that she got to wear a pretty dress, but... According to Jeremiah, it added about 20 minutes of filler. What, what was in that filler? Like, she <laughs> it mentioned her Bella mom? Bella or something? Oh. Yeah. Oh. It mentioned her mom... Wait, Just, is her mom alive? No, but it no, mentioned that she mentioned had her. one. <laughs> okay, so they lampshaded the absent mother. Good. Uh, yeah. In some, in some versions of the story, there's actually a stepmother involved. That makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But okay, that's that's good. But yeah, no, actually, Joy, I think that's a really good point because like the box office numbers basically said you repeat the formula, you were going to have a smash, mm-hmm. and right. that people don't want anything new and inspired. And you know, is this good like i'll admit i'm not really sure i understand why we have any of these yeah i mean like it's kind of like a novelty you know like it's the movie i remember that's animated from my childhood but it's with like rob stark in it you know like and (laughs) won't that get old yeah i feel like it will like i feel like it is yeah i mean i feel like it's already old um i mean the one the one thing that i can get is the revisionist thing, which yeah. I brought up when you we were listing them, is, like, that is at least something I can understand. Like, like Maleficent, <laughs> which was basically an attempt to, like, let's tell this story from a completely different perspective. Yeah. That, w- that was a very, like, Wicked-esque mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Which I like. Uh Generally, I do like the revisionist reboots. That's not... That yeah. doesn't seem to be what we're getting. No. <laughs> at all. It I mean, seems- like... No, you, you're right, like, exactly right, like, Gretchen, like, I can see that kind of thing, like, you know, White Star Goes to Sea kind of thing, mm-hmm. being, being, like, something that's valuable that contributes, especially when it's such a familiar text, like, you know, Beauty and the Beast is such, like, we all know that story, we've all seen that movie, but, right. like, shot for shot, I mean, why? Well, Mulan can't be shot for shot. No, well, they're not gonna have any music, so. <sighs> Which is awful, because the songs in Mulan are some of my favorite, like, yeah. There's so many I'm good actually songs. okay with Mulan not having music. Sorry. Oh, really? What do you like about it? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I like the story of Mulan, and I'm okay with not uh, having music because I don't know. I guess the musical format works better in animation, perhaps mm, not so much yes. in live action. And I don't want the same story that we had in the animation. Although but it I seems actually, like you are going to have the same story, just with the yeah. I actually fear the grim dark Mulan, but oh I my hope gosh, we don't get that. Alex Graves. Oh, that version's gonna be totally grim, dark Mulan. <sighs> like, well, and, and and I don't think there's gonna be a ton to differentiate these two movies, is what I'm thinking, because, like, at least if one of them had people singing, that would be <laughs> something. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It would justify having both movies, but uh, at this point, why are we having two Little Mermaids or yeah, two? Yeah, I don't think anything or... justifies that. Other than like, remember for a while, uh, Pixar and DreamWorks were doing that dueling movie thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that. And Pixar was winning. Pixar always wins <laughs> until they did Cars too. Well, I mean, if if we go with some of these original, like looking at the Hans Christian Andersons, like you could mm-hmm. tell a Little Mermaid story that doesn't look anything like the Disney well, Little Mermaid. Same with Mulan. I mean, Mulan is a very yeah. old story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to be what's coming out of the Disney Studios. No, and it doesn't seem to be what's coming out of Sony either. Like, I don't think. No. That, like, cultural sensitivity is their thing. If tired, I'm sorry, I'm still salty about the whole Alex Graves thing. <laughs> you know what I'm salty about? The non-Disney Little Mermaid. I'm very salty about the, the stuff that's coming out about that. What's coming out about that? That looks weird. Um, like, one, um, like, the villain is the only person of color in the whole movie. Oh, God. That's always a great start. I mean, have oh, your yeah, be the only person of color. That sure is going to make a box office mesh. Woo! <laughs> um, and he seems to be, like, weirdly based off of the villain from Princess and the Frog. Like, I get kind of like a voodoo Cajun vibe, which just, like, makes it worse. Like, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> oh, um, God. It's, like, set in a circus. 
Um, does she die at the end, like in the Hans Christian Andersen story? I don't know, but like I, I feel like like especially with Little Mermaid, like there's, and if it's not Disney, because Disney, I think, would have a harder time like doing like gender bending or like race bending or like those kinds of adaptations because people might get more mad at Disney for like you ruined the original movie because you made Ariel black or whatever, like because people are jerks. Um, yeah, people are jerks. So I feel like a non-Disney, like, retelling of this fairy tale is, like, the perfect way to, like, add in more diversity, add in more representation, like, do something different than just have a bunch of white protagonists with, like, an evil voodoo black man as the villain. Like, but why is that what we're getting? Yeah, you know, uh, having more diversity would actually justify the reboot. Because, you know, we're fixing something that was wrong with the classic Disney movie, but... Right. Yeah, and Disney is certainly... I thought Disney maybe would fix some of their own sins, but, like, given all the fart sniffing that was going on for Gay LeFou, and, like, no one even picked up on it? Are you kidding me? Because it was what, like, blink... Oh, the way Jeremiah put it. He said, I didn't blink and I still missed it. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I don't know, how does this relate to, like, a medium that's kind of famous for constantly rebooting, which is comics? Well, comics Hmm. do something a little interesting. I mean, there are definitely reboots, but they do a lot of soft relaunches, is what I'm finding. What does that mean? And at least with, okay, well, (laughs) at least with DC, I don't know very much about Marvel, uh, but from the impression that I've gotten and from my conversations with Griffin, it seems like when DC does a soft relaunch or a soft reboot, it's that it is a new story. So like, um, you know, the rebirth that's going on right now in DC. They are new stories, but then they kind of like purposely pick which pieces of canon they're going to bring into it and like which they're going to have their characters remember and sort of marry it all together. So there's almost this like emotional compliance to what came before it, but not necessarily a strict literal compliance. And the best example I think I can give you right now is Renee Montoya I don't know if she ever was the question. I don't know how much the events of 52, like, were, are still intact for her, because for other people it's kind of not. But, like, she still knows Kate is Batwoman. So there's sort of this, like, and they still have that kind of history going on. So it's like this emotional compliance to what came before. I'm assuming, like, her story about that mostly happened in Gotham Central with her being outed happened, but maybe her elements of her leaving were different, that kind of thing. So it, it kind of lets you do a fresh story without worrying about what came before, but in a way that still is with consideration to the history. So mm. that's like a soft relaunch. You could even view uh The Force Awakens as a soft relaunch of the original trilogy, when you think about it. And that's actually the bigger criticism of it. Yeah, I mean, it does very much feel that way. And I'm a little more forgiving of it for a medium like comics that have been going on for, you know, almost a freaking century. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong vis-a-vis comics, but definitely like The Force Awakens. The reason that they did that, like, relaunch was that it was felt like the franchise was broken. Because the prequels, while commercially successful, were full of crap, right? (laughs) I think that's one (sighs) And that's usually, that's usually how it works with comics too, like, 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 the canon is becoming kinda like, out of, hand. out of hand or like it's going in a direction that a lot of people disapproved of and they just want to start over so like they do like a relaunch right but this isn't the case here at all i'm a little more cynical when it comes to star wars i think it was more like they had a successful monetary formula mm. and they they wanted to follow it but yeah, yeah but there was there was a very conscious effort to distance themselves from the prequels yeah 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 I very agree. much so yeah i agree with that right it's just like i uh, Getting back to this whole, like, to me, like, one of the big points about, like, what makes a reboot, like, what justifies a reboot. Like, to me, like, a huge part of it really is, like, you're either trying to do something different, like, you're trying to tell the story from a different perspective, or, like, you're trying to update it for a modern audience. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because, like, so many, as Priscilla said, like, so many of the original Disney films were not, even though they were animated, they were not diverse well and like if they're going to redo dumbo like fix that (laughs) yeah 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 don't have the racist crows i guess this time (laughs) holy shit 
I forgot about the crows. Jim oh. Crow. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, it's actually oh interesting you brought up comic books, too, because comic book movies are always doing this shit, right? Like, how many times have we gotten a new Spider-Man? Yeah, like, I along? know that he gets bit by a radioactive spider. I don't have to see it again. <laughs> I really want to see Uncle Ben dying just one more time. <laughs> Please. Maybe this time they can uh, just put in a story about Peter's parents, because that's clearly what everyone wants to see. <laughs> Yeah, I think that could work for, like, Man of Steel rebooting Superman. Oh. Oh, my God. Um, Even uh, James Bond, you could kind of consider Casino Royale was, like, a reboot, right? Oh, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was... I'm not happy that they did it. (laughs) I was not a big fan of that either. I guess it really... I mean, James Bond is a difficult franchise to bring into modern times. I mean, the only James Bond reboot I would be happy with is James Bond reboot with Idris Elba as James Bond. Or Kate Kane. Or Kate Kane. Bond, yes. (laughs) No, I'd be happy with that. Or a woman, yeah. Absolutely. I don't know, is there any value in this at all, though? Because, like, sometimes the canon does get out of control, or, like, as Priscilla was saying, there are sins of the original that, like, let's see them fixed. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's a question of, um, like, how this, like, how it will play out with regards to, like, the shot-by-shot versus, like, the whole kind of, like, midrash kind of aspect of, of it, which is also a possibility. Ooh, that's a good word. <laughs> well, I want, I want to impress you all with my big words. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's a big word. I, I meant, like, it's a good <laughs> analogy. Like, yeah. Like, Maleficent had that kind of aspect. How, how about this? Let us all close the segment by saying one thing we want to see rebooted. Ooh. And why? Mm. Yes. You go first, then. I will go first, and I'm a little scared to admit this in our current, like, what's going on right now with this franchise specifically, but I want a reboot of Harry Potter. Mm. I want it to be the books (laughs) so that we don't have Ginny tying Harry's shoelace in the middle of the (laughs) sixth movie, because what the fuck was that? Or the fourth movie that didn't include the plot of it. I want spew. I want it all. Um, (laughs) Make it a miniseries. Like a BBC miniseries. miniseries. A series of BBC miniseries. Every book has to be its own miniseries. I would love that. (laughs) That that is what I would want a reboot of. Um, If child actors seem prohibitive, just animate it. I Mm. have no shame with this. Um, Gretchen, you go next. (gasps) Um, well, this, uh, this is actually being done, so ha! Um, I have fingers crossed that it's gonna be awesome. Um, so, uh, the Black Cauldron was a thing. Yes. It it was not a great- We have to link my piece now, awesome. Yes. Um, we will link that. Um, it was a weird thing. Uh, but it was, it was based on a rather successful series of children's movies. Yes. And I grew up having- my parents read those books to me. They are called the Chronicles of Prydain and they are based on like Welsh folklore. Um, and like my parents would read them aloud with all the voices and things. And like, I love, love, love the Chronicles of Prydain. And I heard news that they are making those into movies. And I am very excited because they better do them justice because they are so much better. The books hmm. are so much better than the Black Cauldron. Made it look like. <laughs> I, that's one of my favorite pieces that Joy has ever written, to be honest. Seriously? <laughs> Priscilla, it's your turn. Can I say Game of Thrones? Because yes! I, I would love to have, like, an you mean actual a Song of Ice and song Fire. Of ice and fire yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it could be that an be awesome. anime. I mean, yeah. I guess it would uh, work better with Tomorrow Fantastic bits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, like every time, like, they're just, when you read the books, they're just like, they're just parts of it are just like screaming for a visual adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, get some meaty actors in there and just do it. Yeah, too bad we never got a Song of Ice and Fire adaptation. So. I know. Imagine a world where we would. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I think animation could really work for that as well. Mm-hmm. I agree with you about that. I think that would solve a lot of the budget issues so that we don't have to like, the casting off issues dire wolves. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 you know, with like, you know, getting an eleven-year-old to pretend to be stabbing people and stuff, you know. Or like, there can yeah. be purple eyes without, you know, people wearing contacts that hurt them. Because it's yeah. so hard to wear contacts. But they can that still was... have a lot of useless masks. So yeah. Oh yes, exactly. That's okay. that's what's important. Well, um, my choice would definitely be his Dark Materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
like, the Golden Compass had these kind of flashes of potential in it as well. And, like, I don't, I just, I just want somebody to have the guts to actually do it properly, you know? Mm, like, right. Call the Magisterium the church and, like, have Lyra's <laughs> sexual development in there and just, like, just do it. Ah, <laughs> oh, it'd be so cool. Because it's just, like, it also has these kind of, like, scenes that are just very kind of lyrical and just screaming, just like, I want to see this. Mm. I think it's interesting we all chose fantasy Yeah, stories. we all chose, That's like, true. book-based things. And we were all fine with animation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the, like, you know, animation is, like, really, just really grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even if it's not computer generated like something in the style of like legend of Korra, that kind of right animation there's nothing like childish about it anymore Mm-mm. no and there's fewer problems that like just just in terms of scope of what we'd want to see there's just fewer constraints that come up but you know how it is when you get those manly urges and you just gotta kill something all right so this is part uh what part is it part four in our continuing series on David Olszewski and his maxims of adaptation, in case you forgot, David Olszewski was the brains behind uh, *Gone with the Wind*, which was probably one of the most successful book-to-screen adaptations of all time. And he also had this habit of getting high and dictating really long, rambly memos. And one of these memos was to the screenwriter of *Gone with the Wind*, whose name escapes me, and where he basically set out, like, the things that he should keep in mind as he is, uh, you know, adapting this very successful book. Very successful, but not very good book. Um, <laughs> and it kind of, like, came out to be a, uh, a, a maxims or kind of, like, rules that can really be seen as guidelines from someone who is very successful at it on how to adapt. Number four. I think this one is my favorite. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> We will be forgiven for cuts, cuts from the source material, if we do not invent sequences. Though he does admit that sometimes it's necessary. So basically, like, when you adapt things, especially in something that has a much more constrained, a constrained time, uh, time frame, like, you know, a movie. Like, a movie could be two hours, three hours is pushing it, you know, but, like, a novel can be really as long as you like. We all know this, like, even if we don't like it, but one of the inevitable consequences of that is that you cut mat- you cut material that still contains, like, essential content, right? And mm-hmm. one of the ways to deal with this is to basically, like, invent scenes, you know, scenes that can, that can, you know, combine content from this th- different scenes or can bridge subplots. Like, if you have to eliminate a subplot, you can invent a scene that kind of bridges the material that the subplot serves in the mm, in the not mm-hmm. in the source material or you can you know invent a scene to portray information that you get from interior monologue or exposition in the novel but what Shelsnick is what he really cautions against is both cutting out large bits of material and inventing sequences that don't serve those very direct kind of functional functions I'm so eloquent <laughs> and because like that that comes very close to, like, the mentality of, like, you know, I'm going to fix the mistakes of the source material, and that way becomes, like, lies danger. And what you end up really doing is, like, replacing what is supposed to be somebody else's story with your own, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, forgive us, please, gentle listeners, but we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, how can you freaking not I know. describe that? Right? I basically, like, the last... Two seasons have been just one entirely, entirely invented material as far as we're well, concerned. But Julia, season six is Winds of Winter. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but even they admitted, like, even they said that, you know, season five was mostly within the books, but season six is going to diverge a bit. So a bit. <laughs> a bit. we can only imagine what's going on. But um, there's actually a few examples back in the first season of invented scenes that worked very, very well. And one of my favorite scenes, actually, from the entire series thus far is uh, the scene where uh, Viserys is in the bathtub with, uh, what's her face, Doria? What's her name? Yeah. Yes, Doria. Doria. Yeah. But it's spelled differently from the sand snake. Um, and 
he's just like being an asshole and they're talking about dragons and you know it both characterizes him very well and it gets some very essential exposition about dragons out and it's just like a really good scene like it's very well acted and it's very well written and just like well directed and the other one that really jumps to mind is like something i think was actually kind of missing from a game of thrones the book is that like ned and john actually say goodbye to each other and John, mm. yeah, and John actually asks, like, so, Dad, we're probably not going to see each other, like, possibly ever. You want to tell me about my mom now? And Sean B. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He just killed that scene. Yeah. With, like, you could see the guilt mm. and, like, that he had something that he had to tell him that was really sad about it. Yeah. Are there Maybe. any scenes that, like, invented scenes that we like after the first season? I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, there's ones uh, like with Oberyn in the fourth season that are very much changed from the source material that they can be considered original scenes. Mm-hmm. I guess the one where he's talking to Carol, that's an original scene. God. I kind of um, like that one. Season two was Tywin Arya. Yeah. <laughs> which, like, yeah. was, they were, like, those scenes were kind of good in isolation, but they definitely didn't serve the functions that Shelzik thought invented scenes should serve. What, you don't think that Tyrion and Danny meeting each other was just so <laughs> satisfying? Like, it totally fixed that in the book, right? Two terrible children from two terrible fathers. <laughs> <laughs> from two terrible writers. <laughs> yes. I mean, they're both men, so they are their terrible fathers, technically. Because they're the fathers of the script. Oh, okay. I was like, okay, I was like, like you like, I, that's kind of below the belt, Gretchen. <laughs> no, I, they're the fathers of the script. <laughs> Our well, terrible fathers, D and D. And again, like it would be forgiven for cutting if they mm-hmm. didn't invent sequences. Like, yeah, I think the best example I can think of for Game of Thrones, if we can just hang on this for another minute, is um, in season five. Like, I don't think any of us really expected the Dorne plot to get on the screen yeah because yeah you know even book readers are like oh why does this exist and i will fight them (laughs) no but like i will like i love doran i you might know this about me but like i was perfectly okay with the idea of them cutting that subplot like it makes sense yeah, so, actually, uh, Dorn is the kind of thing that either you do it right, or yeah. it's preferable that you don't do it at but, all. So. Yeah, not only did they cut the actual <laughs> subplot from the book, but they'd, like, made up this pile of shit. <laughs> so... <laughs> to put it gently. Yeah, so it was kind of like, like, there was nothing good about it. That fight scene was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever watched. The snake food. <laughs> the snake food, yeah. Anyway, moving away from Game of Thrones, the other thing that kind of sprang to mind immediately while I was just kind of writing notes for this segment was the fourth Harry Potter movie and that stupid, like, five-minute scene where Harry is being chased around the roof by a dragon. Oh my god, this is uh, the bug up your butt, yeah. <gasps> yeah, it is. It is the Like, that bug has been there for, like, ten years and it's just... <laughs> Yeah. It was like one of the first things you talked about with me. You were like No, it's just that they were like they had no time for like anything but like the main set pieces of the plot in that movie apparently. Like, you know, they cut out they cut out Spew, they cut out like a lot of Harry's character development from that movie. They cut out doing like the Barty Crouch stuff properly. But if they had time for fucking a dragon chasing Harry around the roof for five minutes for no reason, it pissed me off. It's action. If I can jump in on that, um, yes, dear. Harry Potter 6, they had the burrow get attacked over Christmas, which is something that Rowling had considered. I was going to mention that one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, the, Rowling had considered it, but didn't put it in. But then that came at the cost of the flashbacks with, yeah. with Tom Riddle. Which were which is, basically the best thing about the books. So. The most important thing about the books. Yeah. The plot line of the books. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like a small thing called plot, so. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, we went, I went to go see, um, Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince with, um, like my whole family and a couple of people hadn't read the books and like they had no idea what was going on in that movie because I mean, they basically cut out like the whole point of like the Half-Blood Prince, really. Did they ever get into the Half-Blood Princes? I know that in the third movie they didn't get into like the Marauders at all. (laughs) Well, if I remember correctly, like, 
Harry got a book and it said Half Blood Princeton and it's like, huh. And then, like, at the very end, Alan Rickman just mumbles, like, I'm the Half Blood Princeton. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> like, That's okay. what it was. <laughs> Why did you name the movie oh this? It should have been named, like, Harry Potter and Ron and Lavender and Hermione's Love Triangle. Like, <laughs> uh... Yes, uh, this is my biggest issue when you um, cut scenes and invent something else, because uh, I know that you have to cut things sometimes, but if you're inventing something completely useless, something that doesn't fit the tone or the themes mm-hmm. and doesn't add anything to the story, why not leave the actual thing? Yeah, this is a, you know what? This always question. Three Musketeers, the book by Alessandro Dumas. They can't seem to have an actual adaptation of this movie in English. I don't know why, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with the plot of that book. But they're always just like, you know, like, whoopifying Milady de Winter, or just like, adding all this weird shit with Francesca, and just like, what is this? What are you doing? And I don't get it. And it really, <laughs> like, why can't you just adopt, adapt the plot? Right. I don't. Ha- I guess it's a perceived flaw. What is a perceived like? What's wrong with the plot of the Three Musketeers? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know the the Burrow scene. Uh, the Burrow scene in Harry Potter. I remember reading something about oh they wanted to add more tension, but that didn't work at all. So nope. <laughs> I remember there was a blink and you miss it reference to uh, Remus and Tonks being in love in that scene. Mm. Oh, yeah. right. Uh, I know. Can you yeah. think of any time when an invented sequence was a good thing in a movie like this? Oh, uh, um. I mean, the one that, one that a lot of people say that they really enjoyed in the Harry Potter ones is the sequence where we actually see Hermione obliviate her parents, which, like, the thing is, like, I think that that is a very powerful scene on its own. I don't think it's actually what happened, though. Like, it yeah, is a very true. powerful moving scene, but, like, that's not Hermione. And that, but that's a problem with the way they adapted Hermione from book to film. Yeah, well, they don't, they don't, they don't remember that they have a daughter and they always, right, yeah, she erases their memory so that they, mm-hmm. so she doesn't exist. Which, like, is a really, like, emotional scene in the film. And you watch it and you're like, wow, this is really emotional. And then I think back later, I'm like, yeah, but, like, Hermione probably wasn't that emotional about it. Like, yeah, that's not her, not. but, like, it is a successful scene based on the adaptational choices they had already made. For this character. Mm. I'm trying to think of any invented scene, though, because I'm trying to think of, like, the go-to adaptations we always talk about, like Lord of the Rings or something. I know. Did you like the elves in uh, Helm's Keep? <laughs> I hated that. That mm. was so stupid. And that's also not, like... I, I mean, I guess when I was watching it without any book knowledge, it was fine. But that, I wouldn't call that an added sequence. That was just like, oh, here's some help. That's definitely an added sequence. Well, like, yeah, I, I would count that added. as an added, um, added sequence, yeah. I would call that an added element, but to me the Helm's Deep sequence was intact. Mm. Except for the, except for the Ents. I might be splitting a hair that I didn't need to split. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Lord of the Rings is another movie that we could go into about, like, added scenes versus deleted things. And, the, like, I mean, leaving aside Tom Bombadil, which, which came, has come up earlier, like, mm-hmm. just what they've done with both that and then The Hobbit. Like, oh, the, the Hobbit, Hobbit is even worse. The Hobbit is all invented sequences. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I, I like, guess the Hobbit is the worst case of invented sequences because they just. I mean, they're not invented, work. they're all from the appendices. <laughs> right. Well, technically, uh, I wouldn't say this violates the rule because they didn't cut anything. That's true. They just didn't adapt it? <laughs> no. They just wrote a different plotline with the love triangle between Pole Dark and Kate from Lost. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Gosh. Don't even get me started. Which, okay, so here, this is another film that I would like to see actually adapted better. I would like a Hobbit miniseries. That is what I want. Because The Hobbit is basically, like, the way The Hobbit is written as a book, like, most of the chapters are standalone. And, like, you could easily make an episode per chapter and have a Hobbit miniseries, and it would be so much better. So much better than these three movies. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great, actually. I second that. Yeah, yes. you know, I'm a huge, huge Tolkien fan, like, huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I couldn't even bring myself to go see the third Hobbit movie. I just I didn't either. Me neither. I refuse. Right. <laughs> On that note. On that note, that is how you don't adapt something. So, <laughs> there. <laughs> it was because of your mother. She sacrificed herself for you. Okay, so for our final segment, actually very much speaking uh, about Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, uh, we wanted to talk about 
we wanted to talk about motherhood in media. And I think there was a podcast a little ago where uh, we tackled idealized motherhood sort of. And we talked about the importance of fallible mothers, but just in general, how motherhood is employed. And uh, for anyone who didn't catch this, uh, this past week, our contributor, Yana, who is on one of our podcasts as well, uh, wrote a piece called The Death Eaters Suck at Family Planning. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) I love that title so much. It's wonderful. It's actually really informative, too. I mean, Yana is German and she has a lot of knowledge about Nazism, which is what, uh, you know, Rowling drew from when she wrote The Death theaters so yeah and i was saying how like each death theater kid having one baby that's completely incomprehensible as a strategy when they had such a numbers problem to begin with you know in terms of pure blood right uh and it it was a wonderful piece and then in the comment section there were uh some great discussions going on about how rowling has employed motherhood uh so priscilla did you want to talk about that a little bit uh yeah actually i uh one of the things that bothers me in the harry potter series is how much motherhood is framed as a good woman thing like you mm. have characters like molly and lily who are pretty much defined by their motherhood and a very idealized motherhood and then the evil characters who are not mothers or are just one child mothers uh even mm. though that doesn't make sense as yana pointed <laughs> yeah. so and yeah, I mean, um, look at Lily's case. Um, she sacrifices herself for Harry, and her sacrifice, her ultimate sacrifice, uh, protected Harry forever, uh, mm-hmm. making him basically mortal. But why hasn't any of the other thousands of sacrifices that happen over the course of the series had the same effect? Like, Ooh, why Dobby sacrificing himself for Harry didn't render Harry extra mortal or something? Because the mother's love is special. It's got. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the message that I get, and I don't like this message. It's really (laughs) Dumbledore say something explicit like that at one point, like a mother's love. Yeah, or was it the second Dumbledore was like a mother's love? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, The thing that I noticed about Harry Potter, like, kind of slowly dawned on me, is that it seems to be, like, circa 1924 in terms of women and their role in society, especially vis-a-vis motherhood. Like, all of the women that we see with jobs, like Professor McGonagall, Professor Sprouts, like, you know, Madam Bones, none of them seem to be married or have children. And all of the women, all of the women that we see who are mothers are all, like, stay-at-home mothers, which, of course, is fine, but, like... All of them? Yeah. yeah I mean, I right. guess in The Cursed Child, you have Hermione, who has a job, but, like, in the actual novels, like... That's weird. I didn't realize Where all the work moms at? Yeah, me neither. I, I'm surprised I never noticed this, actually. Yeah. And, you know, what's strange, too, because you're talking about, like, even the evil women, and I'm thinking, the only, like, Death Eater mom I'm really thinking of is Narcissus. Is Malfoy. she even Death Eater? Yeah. Or is she just kind of associated with the Death Eaters? Because <laughs> she her kind husband of just, like, one. got sucked into it. Yeah. And then, like, of course, you know, she was so concerned about her son that she lied to protect Harry, and, like, it was a mother's love that, you know, allowed him to get out of that situation. Yep. Again. Yeah. Um, Which is poetic, I guess. I guess. But also problematic, so... Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's it's poetic in that, like, you know, Voldemort's Achilles heel was not understanding the power of love. Yeah. But it seems to be this very specific kind of love that he doesn't understand. Right! Because his mother was a gross rapist, I guess. Right! That's what I was thinking! Like, it's very (laughs) specifically about Voldemort. It's not just that Voldemort doesn't understand love, which that is a point, but it's he doesn't understand a mother's love because he had a bad mother and ended up in an orphanage... And so oh. these two, like, like the female characters who sacrifice the most are mothers, and, like, he can't predict it because he doesn't understand it. <gasps> oh! Oh, gosh. wow, hey, this got worse. Than- right? So Harry Potter is <laughs> basically about mothers. Right! And how special the power- they hmm Yeah, the power of a mother's love to, like, conquer oh. evil. Like, literally conquer evil. Well, I guess <laughs> mother's love is nice. I just... And that's not to denigrate motherhood. It's not. To, yeah. It's not that we don't think that motherhood is special and beautiful. It's just like this is not necessarily the best oh, message. Like, where, about where are all the stories about magical fatherhood? Like, <laughs> well, it's always fraught father relationships because the yeah. father's always wielding power in some way. Yeah, he's, he's always. Or they like, had to be strong armed into having children and didn't want them. You know what? You know what? I'm weirdly thinking of. God knows why this just came into my mind. Um. 
How to Train Your Dragon, that series. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, like, you know, at first, the mother in the first movie, you're just kind of told that she was, like, this badass woman who died with, to like, a dragon. giant and- boobs. With giant boobs that, like, her boob armor serves as Hiccup's helmet. Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Whatever's working. But then in the second one, like, we find out she's been this, like, weird vigilante recluse who's been living with dragons and saving them, and it's perfect. But, like, Hiccup is kind of mad at her for about one second before he's like, oh, this is fine. Like, it's cool (laughs) that you just abandoned me. But then, like, every interpersonal issue he's having is with his father because Stoic's the one in charge I guess or something and then his mom's just like nice and happy at the end I don't know this is, I don't know why that came into my mind it was just that, that was a weird portrayal of motherhood I will say that much mm-hmm. yeah but that's interesting because at least you get a different portrayal of motherhood because uh, the issue with idealized motherhood troops is that they're everywhere so, you know, they give you this impression that uh, mm-hmm, every woman yeah. wants to be a mother and is going to make an amazing mother as if uh, faulty moms or abusive moms don't exist. And, you know, they do. Yeah. Or right. if, if they do exist, they're like a special kind of evil. Right. Well, like, like, again, back to Harry Potter, like, he doesn't understand love because he had a bad mom. Like, his, like, he is a villain because he had a bad mother. Yep. Like, you can, you can draw that implication from the story that we get of his backstory is he has a villain, like, he's a villain because his mom was a bad person and, like, and then she didn't love him. I mean, there's this implication that he's evil because, like, she, like, basically rapes her husband to conceive. Right, right, right. yeah. And, like, you see this all the time in, like, murder, like, in mystery shows. I watch a lot of cop dramas. Um, where, like, I mean, like, eight times out of ten, like, some guy is a serial killer because he has mommy issues. Like, bad mothers make killers, which is the flip side of, like, mothers ought to be perfect is, like, well, if you're bad, your kids are going to be, like, serial killers or murderers. Like, that's an awful way to put in the shoulders of a woman. Right? Of any woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, speaking of Harry Potter again, we have the case of Molly Weasley. <laughs> Which is uh, portrayed mm. as this perfect mom, even though yeah. she's very far from that. And I wish, you know, the story could acknowledge that she's not a perfect I mom. I wish the story would actually acknowledge that the but, Weasleys you know. have a really weird family. Yeah. <laughs> just in general. Like, not just because Molly's not a perfect mother, but, like, that's a really weird family dynamic. And it makes me really uncomfortable as an adult. Yeah, to like read it to be like they don't know how many kids they have or which are theirs. Like, <laughs> what kind of a thing is this? Like, everyone shits on Percy because he's different. Like, because he's good at school. Uh, like, that's why they were shitting on him. Well, Fred and George were really out of control. They were mean. Like in not in yeah in not a good way. Yep. And, like, Ginny kind of, like, teamed up with them. I don't know. It was strange. <laughs> the whole thing was strange. Um, what, I, I would, what I'd really like to get to is we were kind of talking about it before we recorded is that the cult trope of, like, motherhood as a happy ending. Mm. You know, kind of, like, oh, and it, it kind of feels kind of related to the whole canard about how you always have to have women paired off by the end of the show, you know? Right. And but yeah. like, to, you know, to complete the little picture, you also give him a baby. Yeah, because that's what every woman wants to have a family, <laughs> right? Because yeah, it's the ultimate happy ending for women, isn't this like the fantasy for women? Is to like every woman wants to get married and have a baby is the assumption. A straight like, marriage. This is the ultimate happy woman. It has to be yes. a straight marriage. Or that if she has an ending that doesn't involve those things, even if it's very happy in nature, it's incomplete. Yes. Somehow. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, I can think of a bunch of examples for motherhood is happy ending, but truthfully, I think Parks and Rec might be the one that stands out the most to me because it was literally just like handing everyone a baby <laughs> and going, and a baby for you, and a baby for you. And actually, uh, Sabil wrote a really wonderful yes. piece about why motherhood for April does make sense. And I, it really made me revisit and think about that in a different way. I mean, way. like, talking about like Harry Potter, like... You know, like, the whole thing, I think what she was going for with the epilogue is this kind of whole, like... Oh, God, don't... No, but it was kind of the whole thing about, like, how, like, you know, life goes on kind of thing. Like, circle of life kind of stuff. No, but, like... No, like, in that context, like, the whole, like, you know, like, kids as kind of, like, 
emblematic of their the fact that there's going to be a future. Yeah. You know, that kind of works in, like, that kind of story. Where, like, the epilogue is supposed to be, like, you know, like, we started with Harry going off to Hogwarts, and now, you know, the next generation is going on to Hogwarts, and, like, there was this horrible trauma in the society, but they, they got through it, they survived, and it's going to go on, right? So, like, this isn't always a stupid way to end things, I don't think. I think for something with the scope of Harry Potter, no. Mm-hmm. Um, very similarly to that, the Gilmore Girls reboot. Mm, I never actually finished ended it. Ended with the circle. <laughs> yeah, well, it ended with a circle of life kind of yeah. thing. Uh, if I, I guess I won't go into specifics, but you can probably guess <laughs> what I'm talking about because we're talking about motherhood and the circle <laughs> of life. But that, like, it made less sense because it just seemed like having some, like, life be cyclical for the sake of life being cyclical. It had nothing to do with anything. And it's like, wouldn't you want Rory to have, like, more options as a woman? Like, I, I just don't understand why this is the story we're getting at all, but okay. Right, especially Rory as a particular character. Like, first, I think that's the other thing, too, is, like, sometimes motherhood is a happy ending works for certain characters or for certain stories, but it shouldn't be the default of, like, every story with a female protagonist has to give her, like, a husband and children in order for her story to feel complete. Because, yeah. like, for me, the big, the biggest offender for this is the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um... Because it's, like, it's literally tacked on. Like, it is literally a single page at the end of the last novel that has absolutely zero to do with any, like, you could finish the book without the epilogue and, and, and it's a complete story. Like, it is a complete story without that epilogue and there's literally just, like, a single page that's like, oh, and by the way, like, <laughs> you know, just in case seven years from now. Right, like, she's married and has babies and is now finally happy. <laughs> Like, and it bothers, like, it bothers me you know, so much. It reminds me of in, in 3% when, um, they get kicked out of the, when they get kicked out of the process, there's this, like, uh, voiceover that tells them how to cope. And, the, like, the, the one, <laughs> one thing they tell them to do is go have kids. Oh and it ends up being, like, really fucked up because, like, they sterilize you and things like that. So, like, they depend on people having kids to keep this whole thing going. Uh... But, um... Like, yeah, it's just like the the happiness of parenthood will help you cope with the disappointment. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of how it plays out in the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. which is why it bothers me so much. Because I um I have a review up on the site, which we can link to, where I reviewed the novels. I haven't seen the movies, but I read the books, and to me, like the books are like this masterful exploration of like PTSD mm-hmm. and trauma and like what being like um like a war hero, like it's all about the, like the psychology of war from the inside of it. And like, so it's all about trauma. And so you're reading this series of novels about trauma and it's like, Oh, by the way, she got married and had babies and has no trauma anymore. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, so are you saying that having like getting married and having kids, like, I know that's not what she means, but like the implication is like motherhood fixes her trauma. That's the implication (laughs) in the Harry Potter epilogue too. I mean, the last line, you know, all was well. Yeah, I think this (sighs) is my biggest issue with uh, both Harry Potter's ending and the Hunger Games ending because uh, you could have a story where, oh, look at all those traumatized children. They, uh, I don't know, they move it on somehow. Yeah, well, like, life goes, like, or, like, but, like, on the other hand, you have, like, a novel, like, you know, Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, which is, like, an obscure novel from the 50s, but it's basically, like, that's, like, you know, kind of, like, guy, like, a family man who goes back, like, he has the house, and he has a job where he always wears, wears a gray flannel suit, but, like, he's dealing with all this shit from the war and everything like that, and he's just, like, like, he has this happy life, and he's normal, but, like, he's still, like, suffering from from what happened to him, like, ten years before, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, with these two endings that we're talking about, it's like they're pretending that that's not a thing. That, like, yes. yeah, sure, like, you know, Harry will be, you know, he'll be successful, he'll have a family, and, you know, he'll have, a, like, a quote-unquote normal life. That doesn't mean that what will happen won't affect him for the rest of his life, because, it, like, it has to, right? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's actually a story I would like to read, so. Right. Yeah. Right, and with Katniss, like, the other thing with Katniss Everdeen in the Hunger Games books is she says repeatedly throughout the novels, the one thing she does not want is to be a mother. Yeah. Like, she says over and over and over again, like, yes. Well, like, the implication is that she doesn't want to be a mother because she doesn't want to have kids who are, like, you know, going to be caught up in the whole Hunger Games thing. I mean, she says it that way, but there's also this implication, like, there's also an outside implication that she's just, like, she doesn't really want that, even... 
Like, a, a part of it is, like, there's war mm-hmm. going on. But, like, I got the sense that it was more just, like, she's had to basically, like, mother her own mother and her sister. And yeah. is like, well, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And there's also a big major war going on. So why would I, why would I want to bring kids into this? Yeah. Like, so it just kind of, like, undermines her entire characterization to, like, make her happy ending that she got married and have babies. When, like, this is the thing she kept saying she didn't want. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gives you the impression that uh, wanting babies means she's healed of her trauma yeah. somehow. And, yes. you know, I really don't like mm-hmm. that implication. And it yeah. kind uh, I get the same vibes from Harry Potter. So I guess uh, we could have... Uh, drops all the uh, authoritarian stuff to describe a wedding cake for 50 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh we God. could have a good ending with uh, the kids growing up and having their own kids, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like the way it was framed because it's uh, motherhood and fatherhood in Harry's case as default mm-hmm. happy ending. So, Right. Or like maybe some of them don't have kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, what's, had, what a concept. What a concept. Yeah, why do all of and the And of course Draco had the one kid because he's a death eater. Because <laughs> he's dead, right? He was raised in that <laughs> environment. He has one child. Um, I mean, I know we're getting close to out of time, but like the we're one other thing time, that, I, but like, I know, I heard the buzzer. Um, yeah. like, I mean, do you want to save just... it? Do you want to save it for next time? Maybe, Crutch, we can do it. Oh, sure. Time. Yeah. We could talk about it next time. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, you know, we, we had like, a, just so you guys know, we had a bunch of motherhood tropes listed mm-hmm. here that we were like really excited to get talking about. Yeah, we got getting two. through one. In, like evil stepmom, absent mother, infertility, like that kind of portrayal. I think this is a really good conversation because I mean, definitely how women are portrayed in media is something that we care yeah, about. And a most lot. women are mothers. So, yeah. And if uh, Priscilla is into it, we would like to have you back as a guest at some point as I, well. I would love to. Pick your brain. Yay! Yes, <laughs> it's very lovely to have you on. Joining us from so. overseas. Well, not, it's all great. I, like I mean, that. it was great know. to join you guys. I, uh, you girls, actually. And um, <laughs> no, guys is a gender neutral term. In that yeah, context. yeah, that's true. Let's not, uh, let's not <laughs> unnecessarily beats. gender things. So exactly, <laughs> you right. beat our stuff. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost like we just did a whole like a segment on unnecessarily gender things. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, if you like our podcast. And you like the stuff that we talk about, you should either rate us or drop us a review. Reviews are more helpful than ratings. Or you could just tell your friends to listen to us because it's like, hey, general nerdy things. This And if you really want to spread the word, wait, I suggest a fundamentalist mug. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have one. It makes makes your coffee taste a little bit salty, but aside (laughs) from that. Right. It's great for collecting Uh, the tears of, of... Certain. Unnecessarily oh, no. gendered robots. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Good for that. Oh my god, we need a mug that says like uh, unnecessarily gendered robot tears, <laughs> or unnecessarily, or like make it pink and just have it say unnecessarily gendered mug. <laughs> one pink and one blue, so you can. We gotta, do, yeah. we gotta do this one, Kylie. We actually have to do this one. Okay. Oh, All right. fine. You guys are too much. Yeah, we're we're just blabbing about merchandise idea. If you go to the Fundamentals, we have a merchandise page too, and we have just a lot of weird jokes for the most part on it, like a, a t-shirt about dramatic satisfaction and something about pot stickers and fucking, which is its own It's thing. a Supergirl and joke. Free range organic ships. Yes. It's a good time. You should check it out. And we have a lot of snapbacks. I'm very happy about that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, drop by the site, uh, you know, drop us any comments on this piece or any suggestions about something you'd like to hear us tackle, and we will talk to you next time. Hi, everyone. Bye. I will change up the quotes sometime. I I never asked to be made. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
one day, one day we will just reenact the whole thing. 